0: Hey everybody, it's Dr. John. Uh, I'm here with a friend of mine, uh, Charlie Hewitt, who's had a phenomenal career in healthcare. and also uh, today we're going to talk about not only that, but we're also going to talk about what he's working on nonprofit wise. He's involved with a new nonprofit called the Mile of History in Providence. So, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on board. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, John. Yeah, so Charlie, you started your career in healthcare, and you've, been, you've had several roles in healthcare administration, healthcare analytics. So walk me through your experience in healthcare and, and really highlight how it's changed over the course of your career.
1: Sure. Uh, actually, healthcare is my encore career. It's what I did when I retired uh, from the city of Providence back in 2010. I was the mm-hmm. IT officer for the city, and I decided I'd do something else uh, as a new career, and sort of reinvented myself in the field of healthcare. I joined our. I actually I talked to about 40 to 50 people here in Rhode Island and nationally, just to learn about healthcare and what were the issues, uh, especially from an IT perspective, since I've been. In professionally involved in IT uh, for, a, for a very long time, since I was in high school, in fact. Um, so what got you interested in the IT world? What got me interested in the IT world? Uh, that's kind of a long story, but the, the short story is uh, when uh, Eisenhower was elected in 1952, I was watching the television, and they... Uh, they switched to the big computer at Carnegie Mellon, which predicted that Eisenhower would win the election, and I thought, that's pretty cool. I'll, I'm going to learn how they got the bunny out of that hat. <laughs> and that started me off in an interest in, uh, in information technology. And did a bunch of things. I was uh, a programmer for IBM for a while. I, was, I taught computer programming in the Navy, and, and later on uh, I was a systems analyst, uh, business systems analyst. At uh, one of the Textron companies, mm-hmm. which eventually brought me here t- to Providence, and and uh, a long career, in fact, in IT and IT at the executive level. Got it. So, so, so after I retired from the city, I thought, well, what else can I do? And I looked a little bit into healthcare and said, gee, this is a mess, and so uh, there must be something I can do in this this field. And eventually, I landed at uh, the Rhode Island Quality Institute where I was the director of the health information exchange program, mm. which uh, c- created uh, what is called current care here in Rhode Island, uh, which is the uh, health information exchange uh, that uh, collects uh, clinical data from a lot of sources. So I think now there's about 450
0: uh, so sources. What I understood, the goal of the Rhode Island Quality Institute was to aggregate all of your patient data in one place, so that we would get rid of a lot of the duplicates that were out there, a lot of unnecessary tests, and really see if we can improve the quality of healthcare.
1: That that was uh, that certainly was part of the original vision, and a lot of that has been done. Um, I left there actually in 2015 because my felt my uh, that piece of my life was was it was launched and moving and I, in fact I still go to the board meetings uh, as an observer mm. they're open to the public to track the progress of uh, current care uh, they're the value added uh, services of current care now are much more focused on uh, what they're calling care management alerts which are in care management dashboards which are uh, take the data out of current care and present it to, say, uh, the emergency room or the uh, case management people uh, to help them track uh, the the high-risk patients that are in their portfolio of patients, their panel of patients. Uh, Very valuable service, and uh, I'm very glad I was a part of of, uh, getting that launched uh, several years ago.
0: I know data has always mm-hmm. been a challenge in healthcare due to all the regulations. You know what's been really interesting for me is, we had somebody actually this past week who enrolled in a plan, and um, so, in certain for certain plans in certain states, you still have to go through medical underwritings like life insurance, mm-hmm. yeah. and he he said no to all the uh, questions, and when we put in the application, I guess there's something called a medical information bureau that mm-hmm. the insurance companies use. Oh, yeah. And they found something from his medical history from around 30 years ago. Really? And they yeah. questioned him on it. Yeah. And it was just mind-boggling because here was something that happened 30 years ago that current the current systems know nothing about. Mm-hmm. But yet a, you know, arbitrary insurance company has access to this information. Right. But his providers don't
1: well, yeah, that's the claims information from thirty years ago would have that, but might not, might very well not be in the record, to the clinical record, right, of the, of his current uh, uh, set of physicians that are treating him. Sure, that makes a lot of sense.
0: So, in in terms of um, what your are passionate is, with healthcare going forward, is it to better organized information or health, uh, really focused on healthcare delivery?
1: I would say it's much more on the on the former. Um, one of the things that I think they're finding out with exchanges like Current Care, they're, they're aggregating a lot of information, a lot of data, I should say. Mm-hmm. And the hard part is to turn that data into information in a very short amount of time. Uh, for instance, if it's a, uh, an emergency room encounter, you have maybe, I don't know, you're the doc, you can tell me, but uh, uh, there's just a few minutes between the time you are confronted with this person and when you have to figure out what is, what should I do. Mm. Uh, and if you're confronted with about a gigabyte of data from a, an EHR or from, a, from an exchange, uh, there just isn't enough time to dig through all that stuff and figure out what might be going on. Uh, the, the real art is going to be in engaging uh, things like, uh, artificial intelligence, for example, to get through that data very quickly and predict what probably this person is going through, whether it's a, a, uh, the person has congestive heart failure, and so you're probably mm-hmm. looking at a heart situation or, or whatever. Um, that's a real challenge. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere, we're, we're, we're close to coming up with something like that, but, um. I think that's one of the things in the future. And all this data continues to pour in every day, hundreds of thousands of transactions just into the Rhode Island uh, exchange.
0: So I know we have tons of data out there, and the next challenge is how do we organize it and actually use it in a way that's effective? Right. And a lot of times, different systems have different ways of processing the data, and it's tough for them to talk to each other. And on the more even more basic level, we've dealt with a lot of issues with... The uh, even the Affordable Care Act exchanges, right, where mm-hmm. we have people that just need to get enrolled and calculating subsidies and matching all that up. So, mm-hmm. where do you think some of the biggest um, breakdowns in communication come from? Is it a technology issue, or because I see these big consulting companies where they get paid hundreds of millions of dollars to come in to a state and they build these platforms? They stay at the Marriott for you know yeah, right. years They're and
1: cranking up the hours, right? And
0: yeah. and then um, you, you get launches that are not always the most effective rollouts of these programs. So we're, having seen things from the inside now, where, where do things break down and how do we make things better?
1: Well, uh, certainly one of the really tough challenges, uh, for example, with these medical alerts I was talking about, is to incorporate them into the workflow of the practice and who, you know, who actually receives them and what action do they take uh, based on that information flow. And that, you know, it sounds like it would be a simple thing to figure out, but it's not, uh, especially when you're confronted with a large amount of this stuff. And especially if it may not be organized in the way that is most effective in, in terms of a human being making a decision to take a certain kind of action. That's really hard. Uh, my professional career has really focused on... The uh, the think of think of it of it as an intervention, and when you have an intervention, something changes, and usually it's the way you do your job if it's it, and that can be very hard to one figure out what is my new job, and then motivate people to do their new job. Mm. Um, you probably heard of UHIP here in Rhode Island, Right. and the the I think the. A huge problem that UHIP did not did not handle very well was the impact of the, on the workflow on the on the business processes of these organizations. Uh, how do you how do you incorporate all that and deal with it and train people to to deal with it, motivate people to make the changes that they're going to have to make? That turns out to be very hard to do, mm. and um, so that's one of the challenges a more technical challenge is uh... the so-called interoperability challenge where you have many different uh... kinds of systems uh... laboratory systems and and each hospital has its EHR it might be epic might be e-clinical works and so on um, and all of those have to interoperate communicate with each other well that turns out to be hard particularly in uh, the world of uh, uh, healthcare. It, in the, the financial world, you're used to going to an ATM anywhere in the world, and you can get out, get money out of it. Uh, that's because behind the scenes, there are a lot of standards, and everybody's signed up to them, and they aren't terribly difficult mm-hmm. to understand. Uh, I don't think the medical profession is anywhere near like that. You're dealing with a very, very complex uh, set of things that are changing also, uh, as new labs are. Uh, our diagnostic tests are developed. They come with a code, and in some cases, nobody bothers to register that code with the kind of the national organization that that creates those standards. And so, you have a whole uh, set of, of languages all babbling at the same time, and it's pretty hard to keep up with all of that and and create the uh, the, the uh, language that all of the systems our understanding. That's one of the values, in fact, of of the uh, current care exchange, is that it receives all of these different things and then reconciles them to a standard, and that's what actually gets stored. So it can be shared outbound mm-hmm. to uh, to other systems.
0: Got it. So it's like, so because I know that when programs talk, you, talk to each other, they have these things called APIs, exactly. which are these right. portals, and a lot of times healthcare has been one of the few industries that I see where companies that build these technology platforms are not willing to share right. their ports with other platforms yeah, because they want to be exclusive
1: yep there's some um, there's uh, also I should have mentioned that probably there is and uh, some companies have, are basically trying to own the world or create a little walled garden around their uh, uh, their their software that's also true though of institutions mm. um, it's only fairly recently within the last uh, 15 years or so here in in Rhode Island, which is a pretty tight little space where um, folks that compete, uh, like the large hospital systems, uh, and even the VA, to use a government uh, example, have not been really very willing to share their panels of patients and make it easy to move that data from say, lifespan to care in New England or from the VA to, to uh, care in New England. And I, had, Early on, I, we had a discussion with someone from the VA which said, uh, no, we, our patients stay with us because, of course, it's, it's free to them. And said, right. Well, mm-hmm. Not quite so easy. <laughs> um, so that's a, there, are, there are a whole lot of things that have to come together in
0: order to make all of this work well. So, what, what advice would you? Because I know that healthcare is the new hot topic, right? We see what's happening with even, you know, J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Amazon getting involved in the healthcare space in mm-hmm, some way. If it's mm-hmm. just press, or is it, you know, they're actually going to do something? We'll see. But what advice would you give to somebody that's maybe coming out of school, looking to get involved in this field? What would you really have them focus their attention?
1: Wow. <laughs> I, I certainly would pay, pay attention, and I mean on a daily basis, pay attention as to what, who are the players, what is the value that they're proposing. I think um, healthcare delivery is in the midst of a very disruptive change, the fact that Amazon's getting involved. Mm. Uh, we know that they are a disruptor wherever they go. Um, and that means what you learn in school today may not be all that applicable by the time you get that and get out there practicing. Uh, the one thing you, you really need to, to stay flexible, keep, your, keep aware of what's going on, and accept the fact that all the skills and stuff you may be learning in school aren't going to be quite those skills that you will need later on in life. Uh, in other words, learn how to learn. Um, and stay flexible, pay attention, and, and, and get involved.
0: So find, find what you're really interested in. Know that the body of knowledge that you have currently is not going to be it's, it's, really relevant moving it's, forward. It's
1: not your ticket to just eternal happiness, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, because I know a lot of people that I hear uh, that we mentor I actually say, well, I can't wait to be done with school because then I can stop learning and start doing. Yeah, and well, no.
1: <laughs> it, that's sort of a flawed statement. Yeah, exactly. In fact, you, you learn by doing. and. Yeah. By doing, you learn what you don't know.
0: And also, I wanted to switch gears a bit too, because you're also involved with a lot of nonprofits. Right? You're yes, interested in preservation of uh, history. You know, you're embracing technology, yep. embracing change, but you yep. also want to preserve what's happening, uh, what's happened in the past, so that we can share it with generations to come. So you've now been involved in a new organization called the Mile of History. Mile you know? of
1: History Association. Uh, yeah. So tell me more about that. It's. Uh, it's actually pretty simple. We, uh, Where I live in Providence, I happen to live on on uh, Benefit Street, which is uh, historic. There's you know, all kinds of very interesting and important uh, history along that uh, street. Um, it doesn't go all the way back to Roger Williams because Benefit Street wasn't there when Roger ar- arrived. Mm. Uh, it was actually laid out in, in about 1760 or so. Uh and it was called Benefit because the benefit was that it linked all of the properties that went up that College Hill area. Um, there are a lot of very important buildings on that street. In fact, uh, just about everything architecturally that mattered from about eight to 1760 to uh, the early 1900s uh, is represented in that on that street. Uh, There's some very fine buildings, and of course, RISD has a property on the street, as does Brown. Uh, There are a number of churches. Um, The um, Unitarian Church is right on Benefit Street. I think it's one of the oldest, if not the the oldest. oldest, yeah. Uh, You have an old library, the uh, Athenaeum Library. Um, And then there are just a lot of private homes and buildings. Um, It's a uh, multifamily zoned area. Uh, So there are some standalone residences like uh, where I live, and then there's uh, a number of multifamily apartment buildings, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, along that same street. And that area has undergone at least uh, one way earlier, before I ever was there, an era where it was revived. It had become very decrepit after World War II, And um, it went through a major renovation uh, thanks to the work of a couple of what I'll call pioneers. And uh, it was saved. It was uh, actually all those uh, buildings along Benefit Street at one point were going to be raised uh, to make way for student dormitories and things like that. Uh, And that was prevented and that kept this uh, enormously important Mm -hmm. asset <clears throat> but in recent years, uh, for various reasons, the, um, the the infrastructure itself, the street, has been torn up a few times, and it is. I, I, I don't. I would not drive down Benefit Street in the dark if I were you. You'd hit a few bumps in the road that you, you may lose a couple tires. You might lose a tire um, because of, um, frankly, uh, repairs that weren't done very well. Mm. And the uh, street lamps, uh, which are very attractive, except that some of them are cockeyed and some of them are f- almost falling down and several of them have been drilled to put signs on and things like that. Uh, <clears throat> the sidewalks are, um, in some cases, very challenging to walk on. They probably are not ADA compliant. Mm. Um, And then uh, a number of the buildings have been allowed to fall into pretty serious uh, disrepair. Um, Partly because uh, there's, I think some of the landlords there are more interested in in profiting on the the expansion of all the students that are, uh, Brown is expanding, Johnson and Wales is expanding. Uh, We have a new uh, emerging medical school in in fairly close to that area. Uh, lots of things going on that create demand for housing. <clears throat> and an opportunity, perhaps, for some profiteering.
0: So the so, goal of this uh, organization is to preserve the culture and the beauty of what's there. Right? there. Is it to really repair all exactly. these things? There's,
1: there's two two really important thrusts of uh, the Milo History Association. One is to promote and preserve the historic character of that area, which is Benefit Street and the streets that intersect Benefit Street. There's quite Mm -hmm. a few of them. Um, And just basically uh, promote that area as a tourist asset, as an educational asset uh, for the city. The other is for to provide a a means for the stakeholders in that area and not just the people that live there but the people that have businesses there, the institutions that populate that area um, to identify problems and then through community action address those problems. Either get the city to do something or or perhaps supplement uh, what the city is doing. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, One of my uh, fellow colleagues is a very talented photographer, and she has gone up and down the street taking pictures of all the lampposts and getting them properly identified, laid out in a nice uh, document, and presented that to the uh, uh, person in the city government that is responsible for uh, manages the contract that that takes Mm -hmm. care of those lamps. Um That saved a huge amount of work for the city to take an inventory like that, and it also was presented in such a way that the city can probably get a grant to um, actually get funded to do the repairs that are needed on that oh, that 's great and that's just you know that 's an example of the kind of activity that uh, I can see uh, Moha the Isle of history association doing
0: and so how do people get more involved? Do they contact you or? Is there a website they can reach out to? Uh, Someday
1: there will be a website. We just incorporated back in November, so we're still getting ourselves organized. But we do have bylaws. We do have a board of directors, Mm. uh, uh, and uh, we are very active. And we are affiliated with the Providence Preservation Society.
2: Okay.
1: So if someone were interested in getting more involved with MOHA, they could certainly call uh, Brent Runyon, the executive director of PPS. Uh, in fact, we share their address, among other things.
0: Oh, perfect. And, so actually, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, and we have done mailings in the local area. We have already about, I would guess, uh, between uh, 50 and 100 members, depending on how you count them. Uh, it's uh, the cost of uh, being a member of, of Moha is hundred dollars a year it's not terribly mm. expensive and I think there's a lot of value to be had in and in fact that's pretty clear from the response we got to our first mailing that there are a lot of people in that area and the institutions that all feel this is something we need to do and uh, and in fact we've gotten a very good reception from uh, mayor Lorza to encourage us to keep going with that this that's fantastic kind of thing he's looking he's looking for grassroots. Uh, type of action to, as to where he places his, you know, the city's priorities.
0: Mm. Well, that's fantastic. And then also, I want to switch back to healthcare. So, how would you change the Medicare system? Would you change it at all?
1: Change the Medicare system
0: for the better in terms of uh, from well, well the perspective of it isn't that's just going Medicare.
1: Uh, Medicare, of course, is a health plan. Um, what I'm more concerned about is this change from uh, going from the fee-for-service uh, to so-called value-based, mm-hmm. outcomes-based uh, measurements of, of for compensating. And I know that's hard to do. Um, and it's, from a number of different perspectives, it's hard to do. And I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> There's a fair amount of success in bundled payments for uh, orthopedic services, uh, hip replacements, that sort of thing. Um, When you go to a bundled payment system, you're going to, if you're, say, South County Hospital, where they've done this pretty well, you end up partnering with other providers, rehab Mm -hmm. services, which are not owned or controlled by the hospital itself. But the hospital... Uh, because it's in a bundled payment uh, system for that type of service Uh, they are ultimately responsible for the outcome that uh, if you know if it's a HIPAA replacement did the person go back to work Uh, you know can they now go back out on the basketball court or whatever it is and uh, so for that you need a couple of things one you rewrite your contracts with the health plans I'm sure you Probably aware of some of that. And because uh, who, you know, I'm going to get this bundled payment. Well, how much do you get? How much do I get? How much does that nursing service over there get? It gets kind of tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the change. Another one, though, which is more interesting to me, is that the way you measure and account for costs within your operation should change. Uh, a bundle payment is great if it, if you if the, you end up with more money than you uh, spent to provide the service it's not so great if you if the other way around right you are losing money to do that you have to have a very good cost accounting system something similar to what in fact i grew up with in the defense industry uh, which is Basically, for each activity that a person does, whether it's a nurse or a doc or a radiologist or whatever, uh, you are aware of, in a standard sense, how much time do they spend on this and how much am I paying them per minute to Mm -hmm. do that. And with that type of, that level of cost control, now you can really manage, uh, not only manage the current cost, but knowing how that process is put together Perhaps you can figure out better ways to provide that service uh, by, say, instead of having a doc do this, who's a pretty high-priced resource, is uh, have um, have a, a nurse or even a staffer of some sort do that same thing. For and so that way you can provide the same level quality of service, get the same outcome. And these and these outcome measures are things like. How much time were they in recovery? How much? When did they go back to work? That type of outcome is another part of the problem with CMS uh, because they're measuring. Did you did you take a, do a blood test? You know, your process measurements versus outcomes. And and over time, you can figure out. I can provide the same quality, get the same outcomes, for less resource cost and therefore uh, control the the cost of this bundled payment and perhaps get uh, some profit, frankly, or surplus, if you like, that I can reinvest in the business and make it even better. It turns out that we did a lot of this in the defense industry, and this is 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is amazing what you can do with that type of mentality, uh, which... It, it sounds like well, there must be a point of, you know, diminishing returns. But in fact, it doesn't seem to be that way because there's there's always more stuff coming along. Uh, partic- maybe it's particularly true in IT because there definitely is. I mean, I started sixty years ago, and in IT, and uh, we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. Uh, it's an, it's a uh, there's a lot of of progress that's still out there to be
0: had. Yeah. So essentially, uh, your your biggest concern is not with the um, bundle payments as a problem, but with the idea that we're not managing it properly, there's no systems in place so that it ends up becoming the wild west of, okay, well, we're just going to take on the risk and maybe we'll make yeah. some money, hopefully we will, but, yeah, but sometimes we might lose some money and we just don't know where it's all coming from and there's no way to structure it currently. That's in a standardized way to really maximize the efficiency of the entire process. Right, right,
1: exactly. And that isn't, uh, you know, so much a a CMS or Medicare or Medicaid issue. Mm. It's 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 across the board. It's across the board, right, exactly.
0: Yeah, well, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about all this stuff. I know that we'll turn this into several segments, and (laughs) I think that a lot of people will benefit a lot from, you know, looking at the amount of history as well as, seeing, you know, maybe there will be a lot of folks watching this that would want to get involved in the health IT space Well, um, to, make, to make the bundle yeah. payment model actually work.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. Thank
1: you. John, take care. Thank you.